Episode 28, the Photon Podcast. Special edition, Field Day 2015. A chat with friends coming up. AmateurRadio15.com presents Photon, the other ham radio podcast. Sponsored by Main Trading Company. Find them online at mtcradio.com. Now, here's your host, Kale Nelson, K4CDN. It is episode number 28. Can you believe it? Here we stand on the precipice of Field Day 2015. Yes, it's quickly approaching June 27, 28 of 2015 is the AWRL Field Day, and we hope that you have a great time participating. We're going to encourage you to do so over the next hour plus. Yeah, this show's about twice as long as our normal program, so you may uh, you may just want to bear that in mind as you begin listening. We cover a lot of ground in this show, and we hope you have a lot of fun listening to it. Thank you so much for being a part of the program, and thanks again to our show sponsor, mtcradio.com. Call Richard if you have any needs for amateur radio gear, supplies, or whatnot. Call him first and let him do his best to, to do business with you great fine folks in Paris, Texas, mtcradio.com. Now, this is a long show. I don't want to go any further with an intro. I hope you enjoy it. Stay tuned. A lot of fun's coming on. Yes, there we are. Finally, it's episode 28, Photon Podcast. I'm Kale, and this will be your special edition show. It's field day 2015. And we've got some guys along for the ride with us. We're going to start in the San Francisco Bay area with George. George, if you would, please reintroduce yourself. Give us your call and uh, some other interesting facts we may not know. Uh, hi, Kale, uh, Jeremy, and Gerald. This is George, Kilo Juliet 6, Victor Uniform in the San Francisco Bay area. And uh, looking forward to doing field day this year and really looking forward to the conversation about what you guys do and what we're planning to do. Fantastic. We've got Jeremy as we come back across the country here in the Cincinnati area. And um, Jeremy, we're familiar, but please just reintroduce yourself so we can put your voice with your uh, with your call. All right, folks, it's Jeremy KF7IJZ, and I'm looking forward to this conversation. Um, started being a little active with my YouTube channel uh, now that I'm settled and have moved from our nation's capital to Cincinnati. And uh, so look for more exciting content over the summer. Fantastic. And coming in in the Quantico DC, Quantico slash DC area, we've got Gerald with us. Gerald, you've been on the show before once or twice, but uh, reintroduce yourself and remind us of your call. Yeah, thanks, Kale. Name's Gerald, uh, KF5JNU, just not unique. And uh, I'm too looking forward to this uh to this little get together i always enjoy getting up with you guys and talking uh, we don't do it on the air too much but when we do off air it's always a good time fantastic yeah yeah gerald gerald's a uh he's a background player you may not hear him a lot on the show but he helps uh keep the uh the computers running here at the faux time shack from afar and i think i might have heard a godzilla uh, commercial in the background there for a second. But anyway, it's going to be fun, guys. We are excited to have you here. This is almost a one-year anniversary of the uh, Photon podcast, which is quite exciting. Just the other day, I paid to uh, re-up the year for the Photon podcast, uh, amateurradio15.com 
Wow. Somebody just fell out of their chair. And that's <laughs> that was okay. the dog deciding to shake. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll work it out. Anyway, we're here to talk about Field Day 2015. And uh, this is something that we've actually been talking about for, well, almost a year. As we touched just real lightly last year, Jeremy and I did, regarding Field Day. And uh, throughout the year, uh, we met George, and George has got a lot of neat things that happened there in the San Francisco Bay Area with his Baynet group. And uh, mm-hmm. Gerald uh, has a lot of fun out in the out in the plains of Virginia doing some fun field day stuff as well. So if you're listening and you don't know what field day is, George, fill us in and tell us what field day is and why we're excited about it. Oh, so field day is an annual operating event sponsored by the American Radio Relay League. And the whole idea behind Field Day is to get experience taking your radio gear out into the field and operating under less than ideal circumstances. So you can think about it as an exercise for emergency communications preparation. And Field Day has been going on since the 30s, um, and it's always the fourth full weekend of June has been for many, many years, and will be, so it's easy to uh, figure out what the dates are. And it's uh, about a 24-hour operating period, and the goal is for your station to make as many contacts as you can. And there's a point system uh, for number of contacts, for different kinds of modes of operation, and for different uh, power uh, sources. So you get more points, for example, for operating battery rather than plugged into the AC mains. So it's essentially an exercise to help prepare for emergency communications. And, of course, it's a great opportunity to just get out, uh, operate outside, set up your stuff, uh, practice with it, uh, get some new experience. And also it's a great PR event for clubs to get new members and uh, generally expose ham radio to the general public. Um, Real quick, you don't have to be a member of an AWRL-sponsored group. Uh, you can be just a dude who's interested in amateur radio because we know we have some guys who are not licensed. Uh, but most of these events are open to the public, and you can look it up on the AWRL website, and we'll have a link to that. And you can uh, find out some information that may be of interest to you regarding what's coming up in your local area. Now, George, George, uh, hit real quick on some ways to get points. Um, here in the upstate South Carolina area for the Spartanburg Amateur Radio Club, I have I have been assigned the position of the public information officer. And just last week, I sent uh, a lot of different email invitations to local and statewide uh, individuals in our governments to invite them to come by and check out what we're doing. You get points for that, along with, like George was saying, uh, points for operating with batteries versus mains or setting up in a conspicuous place like a Walmart parking lot or a, a local park, a fire department or something. Uh, you also can do it uh, at home if you want to. You don't have to be a part of a club and operate with a club. You can operate as a group. And I believe that uh, that uh, last year, Jeremy, you guys, you guys got together and did that up in Virginia. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. We um, Another friend of ours, um, Gerald and myself and Ed, W4EDF, and another friend of ours uh, all got together last year and set up a field day set up in uh, our buddy's yard. Who uh, He is a farm owner, 
And so uh, there was a nice freshly mowed field for us to set up surrounded by trees. Um, the cool thing was last year we were 100% solar powered. We ran uh, all of our stations off of the two 120-watt uh, power film foldable solar panels um, and then a couple of lithium iron phosphate batteries. One was a 40-amp hour power module uh, that I had brought and the other was this small uh, A123 systems like a four and a half amp hour battery um, but last year we ran as a two Bravo station uh, two meaning that there were two simultaneous transmitters and Bravo meaning that we were battery powered and we had a really good time fantastic and Gerald you were there and uh, tell us one of the uh, one of the one of the takeaways you had from last year's field day yeah so like uh, Jeremy was saying, we're set up, you know, just outside in the grass. Um, a lot of people, you know, go out and they have everything planned out and they know where they're going to put their antennas up and what they're going to do. Uh, we all just kind of showed up on game day and started going to town. So we had to pick out our trees and Ed, uh, he's got a really good video there on YouTube of how he had a painter pull support for his antennas. But, you know, just that that deconfliction of how you're going to set up the antennas and, you know, make sure no one's interfering with each other and uh, where the solar panels went and all that. It was a, it was a really good takeaway of how to work with each other. And, you know, a bunch of guys that, you know, they're, they're all some really smart guys. So it was easy to work with them of getting everything laid out real quick, because the longer you're off the air, those are contacts that you're not making. You know, here in town, we set up on Friday, and I think we lose points for that, or we don't get points for setting up on Saturday. Uh, George, I know you guys go out and make a really big deal at a field day. Matter of fact, that's kind of what keeps your club that's kind of a club together. What happens out there in San Francisco with you guys? Well, with with our group, uh, we organize pretty carefully how field day is structured. In other words, we figure out in advance how many transmitters, what bands, what antennas, who's bringing exactly what. And we do that because we want to make sure that uh, when we get there, we'll, we expect a lot of guests and a lot of new hams. And we want to make sure that their experience is really positive. And there's nothing worse than opening the doors and having people show up and, you know, you forgot the cord or you forgot this, you know, cable or something. So we try to pay attention to that sort of thing. But the operating style in our in our group is really very flexible and we really want new guys to get on the air. So we make it really easy for new hams and, frankly, even older licensees who've not operated HF or, or CW or some mode to, to get in there and operate. So um, we have a core group in the club of about half a dozen people. We do all the logistics planning, and um, uh, we either uh, show up on Friday, camp out Friday night, and then operate Saturday through Sunday morning, or in some cases just Saturday through Sunday morning. So this year is just going to be one night. Um, one thing I, I would add, too, to echo what, what Gerald said, I mean, it's an interesting uh, kind of philosophy, if you don't want to overthink it too much, but groups tend to go one of two ways, either really organized or really not organized. And and there's pros to doing both. So in our case, uh, we do this kind of overly organized thing because, uh, like I said, we want to make sure that everything is just so and ready for newer hams. However, I know a lot of groups that, that consciously don't plan at all. And the reason is that that more realistically uh, models an emergency communications exercise situation. So if all of a sudden you say, hey, let's go do field day right now, 
you kind of grab your stuff and go and you probably don't bring everything and you probably don't figure everything out in advance. And that's much more realistic. So in a way, that's kind of a better way to go about doing it. So uh, different field day groups have different um, goals in mind. Um, there's a lot of groups that do this like a super serious contest where they have people assigned to stations. They better be the best operators. They work them to death. And it's like a military exercise. And they're going for the highest point score they could squeeze out. And that works for some groups. That's like the complete binary opposite of what we do. <laughs> we, we sort of joke around and say we, we have a barbecue and a wine tasting and, and then a bunch of radio operating on the side. <laughs> it just depends on you know kind of what the group wants to do. Now you guys use it, George, as a uh, like a public awareness type event, a public relations type event, uh, as described there. Now, Jeremy, when when you were involved with a club in Virginia, is that how that was, or was it was it less structured? Well, I, I'd say it was fairly structured, and it was fairly structured because of lessons learned. Like in years past, and this is before I was a member. You would the club would decide that it was going to run five stations, and uh, then you would have a random club member show up with equipment, and they want to use their radio, and they start you know trying to connect to things. Then all of a sudden you're running six, and you have interference between bands, and um, so most of the organization I think was really around controlling the chaos. <clears throat> now, granted, um, you know we would on average run between five and seven stations, um, you know, a couple CW stations and mostly phone stations. Um, but overall it was, you know, it was a structured event. It was, you know, an opportunity for folks in the club to come operate. We always did it in public places. Um, and we would invite, of course, invite the public. We would invite the media, um, to come out. We would invite local officials to come out. Uh, and it really was a, a very much public facing event, which is, Quite a bit different than what we did last year, um, which was the four of us just saying, hey, you know, I want something less structured. I have all these great ideas. Let's just throw some gear in the back of the Jeep and see what happens. And that you did. And there's a video of that, uh, a compiled video of your last year's experience. And uh, you'll get to meet Gerald there in the video. And uh, we'll post that as a as a primer, a primer, I think is how you should say it. But anyway... Gerald, um, are you going back to Virginia this year, or what are you going to do? Yeah, so uh, this year I'll be, uh, I'll still be in Virginia. I think I'm going to head back up to where we were last year. I don't know if we're going to go all out um, with the solar and all that. We might just hang out in the air condition um, and play around. Our uh, myself and our uh, other partner up there, he's uh, he's gotten into the SDR world as well. And the thing that I really like about Field day is just the massive amounts of stations that are on the air. You know, you can, uh, it's kind of discouraging when a lot of newcomers first start out and they get on HF and they get everything set up and they've got their antenna tuned to a one to one and they uh, turn the radio on and they throw out a couple CQs and they hear nothing. And, uh, you know, they troubleshoot and troubleshoot and they still don't hear nothing. And it's, you know, maybe somebody's not on or maybe the people just don't want to come back to them, uh, but you never, you never really know what the problem is. On field day, I think that's the uh, complete opposite. You uh, you hardly have to get your call out there before someone's coming out. So it's a really good time that you can test out uh, all your gear and all that. Um, and I just wanted to say in there, kind of along your last topics, is before I moved up to Virginia, I was with the club down in North Carolina, the uh, Onslow Amateur Radio Club. And those guys were, I think, like the perfect 
medium of they were prepared. They had, you know, the, um, the public service folks coming out. They had news reporters. They had to go to station. They operated in uh, the soccer fields, and it was a really big involved event, but it was always kind of laid back. And like George was saying, it was a, a barbecue that happened to be doing radio. So I think there's a, you know, there's a few different ways that you can do it. And uh, as long as people are having fun, I think that's what matters. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we we here in, in South Carolina, Spartanburg, the last couple of years, we've been meeting at a Masonic Lodge in the basement. And it was located right beside an old rundown liquor store. And I just thought to myself, that may not be the most inviting location um, for a field day. And, you know, some people don't understand the Masons or they're not Masons and they don't even know you can go into the building if you're not a Mason. So why would, you know, I stop there? And of course the next door neighbor is the, you know, the drunk liquor store and don't really want my pastor to drive by and see my car parked between the Masonic Lodge and the liquor store. So I took it upon myself this year to find us a very, a very neutral location, a central location, but neutral at the same time. And what I've done uh, for the club here is to, to make a connection through one of our members, Jeff KM4FEL, who works part-time at the fire department there. It's not a city fire department. It's a county department. So it's just outside of the city limits of town. And they've got a very new facility and they've got a, a great, a great facility. Actually, they have two different conference rooms in the facility, and we're going to be setting up a CW in one one of the conference rooms. We'll put voice in the other, single sideband voice, and they have a very nice 100-acre field or 100-yard field actually behind the, the building. We can set up antennas and whatnot. So we're, we're going for more of a uh, more of a public service kind of thing this year to kind of maybe bring ourselves back to the the minds of the folks local and to give ourselves that neutral location so that hopefully we can draw some new folks in who will want to come by and, and maybe pick up the mic on a go to station, which we'll get to in a few minutes. But uh, field day is coming up and it's the 27th and 28th of this month. And uh, it will be, I don't know how many field days this will be for me, maybe four or five. Uh, I'd considered doing it here on the farm. I'm just going to be completely transparent. I was going to hopefully have my extra by now and my vanity two by two. And in doing that, I was going to invite a few buddies down and we were going to set up out here on the farm. Like you guys do in Virginia. Y'all were my inspiration to claim the uh, Chicago song there. But anyway, we're going to give it a spin and George through talking with George throughout this program up until this point this year. uh, I just really got, I really dug what his group was doing out there and doing it as a group so I said, you know what, I'm going to go back and I'm going to scratch that idea. I didn't get the general anyway. The podcast takes all the study time. But anyway, uh, that's why I'm I'm back in. I'm going to do it with the club this year. So I'm excited about it. And I've got my pack tenna that I anticipate setting up at the uh, at the field day. So, the, guys, what we're trying to give you just an idea here is that uh, it's it's a it's just like the hobby. It's very broad. It's very large. And there's a lot of different ways to do it. The guys in your town may do it differently than you want to do it, or they may do, do it differently than we do it. Uh, but it doesn't mean that you don't need to be involved. And Gerald makes a great point. If you are a licensee from technician to extra, you can make contacts on field day. It's guaranteed almost <laughs> to make contacts on field day. So um, 
who, who wants to tell us first about what you're going to operate, what types of rigs you, you're planning personally to operate on field day? Jeremy? Well, I, um, I was afraid you were going to pick me first. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I only say that I did that on purpose. I, well, yeah, I, I told you what my situation is. I, I don't know what I'm going to do for field day this year. My, uh, my options are um, go check out the local club in my new city, which they have a very active club and a very uh, well-established club. I've never uh, – haven't been to a meeting yet. In fact, I think it's next Thursday is their, uh, the next meeting, which I intend on going to. Um, but I know if I do that, I'm going to show up and maybe get to operate for like 15 minutes or an hour. Um, and part of the things I've always loved about Field Day in the past was really being behind the scenes and setting things up. Um, I could also do it from home, uh, or I have another friend in the area that we've talked about, and I've even actually thought about driving back to Virginia to join those guys. But you asked me what radio I was going to operate, and uh, honestly, uh, we did the KX3 last year. Um, I mean, so that's uh, obviously one uh, one option, but truthfully, I might actually use my ICOM 7100 just because I've hardly ever used it on HF before. Um, and it's a little bit simpler. I've already got it all mounted in a box. I just got to pull it out, plug it in, and turn it on. I don't think we can get through an episode without someone mentioning their KX3. <laughs> <laughs> what about George? KX3? <laughs> yeah. George, tell us about operating your KX3 on field day. Well, George, what, you, what do you guys operate? Yeah. <laughs> So we're going to be operating a class 3A, 3-alpha, and that means three HF stations, and we'll be battery-operated, and uh, we'll have one VHF, UHF station as well. So four operating positions, and for us, we can keep three positions pretty much uh, manned all the time. A fourth one's a little tough sometimes, depends on how many people are there. Um, Because a lot of people like showing up to our field day to just look at gear and BS about radio. And not necessarily operate, but that's all fine too. So anyway, the the three HF positions, um, the first one is going to be uh, the primary 20-meter station that has a Kenwood uh, TS-480 uh, SAT, which is kind of a big mobile uh, radio. And we have, uh, for the antenna, a three-element Yagi. It's uh, Super Antenna's YP3, so it's a portable Yagi that we put on a big push-up mast. It's got a rotor. It's pretty slick. Um, second HF station is a TS-2000, and uh, that will be uh, on a vertical antenna. Uh, it's a fiberglass mast with a wire vertical and a bunch of ground radials and a tuner. Uh, that operates uh, on any band. Uh, so in the morning, it'll probably be 10 or 15, and later in the day, of uh, 40 and eventually 80 uh, as we get into the evening. Uh and that will be sideband or CW. The TS-480 is primarily sideband. Uh, we're also going to operate uh, data, uh, digital mode, uh, PSK for sure, possibly some of the other digital modes, depending on what gear uh, people want to bring. The third HF station is a little bit of an experiment this year. So uh, every year we get the question, can I bring my stuff? Well, actually, we get two questions. One, do I need to bring anything? And two, can I bring my own radio gear? So like um, I think Jeremy was saying that there's a lot of coordination you have to do to make sure that you can't just have people showing up with an extra transmitter and causing interference. Um, So we really manage it very tightly. So the third station is going to be a 
B-Y-O-R, Bring Your Own Rig Station. So we'll have it set up with an antenna. We'll put it on uh, probably on a Pactenna uh, in a V configuration, and people can bring their own HF rig and just jack in uh, to existing power and antenna, and that way they could play with their favorite radio. So um, for VHF, the, the radio we're probably going to use is a uh, Yaesu FT817, which is a QRP rig, so it only puts out a few watts. But we've got a 30-watt uh, amplifier uh, on that radio, and that will feed a uh, three-element uh, two-meter Yagi for two-meter single sideband. We'll also have a uh, 432 single sideband. Not too many contacts uh, on the band, but we'll probably pick up a, a dozen or so. Um, so that's the official stations. Uh, in addition to that, personally, I'm going to bring um, a new radio I just uh, picked up. I, I sold a bunch of stuff and saved up the money and just bought an FT991. So ah. look forward to that. I used to have the FT897, which is kind of the early, early version. Uh, sold that many years ago and kind of regretted it. So the 991 is kind of the super-duper version of this radio the same size. So I'm looking forward to playing with that. You know, there's a lot of questions on the Internet about the radio, the 991. And, uh, George, after we get through all this, maybe in a few weeks we can get back together. And once you have some operating time with it, you can give us like a review show. I would love to do that. Um, I'll, I'll give you the one-liner right now. So far, it's got an awesome receiver. So stay tuned, and we'll see how it works at field day. Stay tuned. What a pun. What a pun. Gerald, are you going to uh, are you going to take the U-Kits back this year? Because I, I think you enjoyed using that one last year, did you not? Uh, yeah, Kale. I, I really liked the U-Kits last year. It's, um, it's really purpose-built for digital, um, kind of the way I have it. It's... You know, it doesn't have any speech processing or any of that. So the 20 watts helps with um, phone QSOs, but on digital, it's, uh, you know, that 20 watts is really, really good. Which and model do you have? Uh, the 4J or the TJ4 Alpha. Uh, so, yeah, it's only it's only got four bands in it, but it's, you know, 40, 20, 15, and 10. So they're pretty uh, pretty popular. Um I think I think this year though I'm going to run the KX3, which last year the uh, yeah last year Jeremy's KX3 is what sold me, and so I bought the KX3 and used it for a while, and then probably two or three months later I, I wanted the amp too, so I uh, got the amp. So it's a uh, you know and it's it kind of speaks to what the KX3 is, and I don't want to give like a, a commercial for Elecraft or anything, but. You know, all these contests or all the portable stuff you see, everyone's running them. And uh, I think they really do a good job at what they're made to do. Um, of course, I have my, my quirks to it that I would like to see some things change. But for the over part, or the, the majority, I think it's just an amazing little radio. But uh, the the guy whose house that we're going to, uh, he's got a Flex 6700. So that might be uh, might be thrown into the mix as well. Yeah, I can imagine you coming home wanting one of those this year. Yeah, until Flex opens it up and uh you know, they released the API for the Linux folks, but it's not not all the way yet. But until you know you can start using it cross platform, I'm uh, not very interested. <laughs> well, down here we have a uh I think it's a seven fifty six pro that we use for voice. And then we have an old, um, maybe an, an, an old Tentec Omni 4 that they like to use for their CW station. And um, there's a Beam, 
there was a beam. I don't think they'll do a beam. They may do it again this year, but uh, I think we've got two Cushcraft multiband verticals, the trap type verticals that they use. And uh, like I said, I hope to get the Pactena some action. I've used it here in the backyard. It works really well. And I'm tickled to see it uh, see it going up at other places. So I'm hoping to uh, to get that to get that out with the guys. And I, I may take my box up there with the uh, the Kenwood TS50, which I blew the Samlex up the other day. But we'll not talk about that right now. Um, but uh, George here, George, George kind of helped helped us get some notes together. And uh, one of the notes here is one of your favorite field day accessories. Uh, I'll just start this one, and um, radio-wise, my favorite field day accessory would have to be a set of my own headphones because I like the ones that I have versus some that some other dude's been sweating in for six hours. So, Gerald, what's your favorite? uh, We'll just go reverse order here. Gerald, what's your favorite uh, field day accessory? That's a good question. Um, I'd probably say an ice cooler, but I don't know if that counts. Um, (laughs) It does yeah. our field day. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, that, I don't know if that's an accessory. That's probably a must-have. No, I really <laughs> like my uh, my Heil headset. I'm talking on it right now. So it's uh, really comfortable. And, uh, you know, when you're trying to dig it out, dig the sounds out of the, the noise or you've got, you know, people around you yelling or talking or anything, um, the headset's a really, really big asset. Very good. Jeremy? Well, this is a um, <laughs> this is a topic I'm very passionate about, and it, it's if you are doing a field day where there are going to be th- at least three transmitters, and, and one of them is going to be CW. I think probably the one of the best things you can invest in um, are a set of bandpass filters, so that when you're working 40 meter voice, you don't hear the guy running a 200 watt CW station on 15. <laughs> trampling everything that you're doing and specifically um, there's a company called array solutions which sells uh, HF bandpass filters they kind of have a house brand um, but then they sell some by a gentleman uh, whose call sign is w3 November Quebec November um, I have had the the fortune of using these um, in our in a seven station field day environment and I was the only one who had one I had it on a 40 meter station and nothing bothered us at all. Nothing at all. And we do very careful antenna placement. But um, yeah, if you're you're going to be running a lot of uh, a lot of different stations, uh, those bandpass filters are absolutely worth their weight in gold. They're a little pricey, um, but they're definitely definitely a, a great accessory to have. Gerald, what do you? Uh, I'm sorry, George. What do you like to take with you? Uh, so I'll I'll give you two. Uh, one is is a uh, speaking of headphones. Bring an extra set of headphones. So for for the operating positions, we'll have one pair of headphones for the operator, one pair of headphones for uh, a logger, because often we'll have that way we get two people on a station, and they could both be listening on headphones, and also a little amplified speaker. So if the general public is there and and wants to hear what's going on. They can listen also. There's nothing more exciting than watching two guys stare at a radio with headphones on and not knowing what's going on. So so you want a three-way audio splitter and a little amplified speaker. So that's a really handy accessory. Um, the second thing is a new one that I'm going to try out, and that's for CW. And I, I love CW, but it doesn't love me a whole lot. 
and I want the help of some CW decoding. And typically what people use is a laptop for that, and that's all fine. But we've moved away from using laptops in our field aid to using tablets. And um, we should talk about logging as an accessory a little bit later. But um, I found a CW decoding program for my iPad and I can take a, a little USB adapter dongle, plug it into the iPad, and um, plug a USB sound card into that thing, and the CW decoding program works really well. So it's, it's nice because it's just turn it on, launch the app, and it's just working. So you don't have the complexity of a laptop and the power consumption and the windows and all that jazz. And the fonts are really big, <laughs> so you can see it. <laughs> In the sun, you know, across the table. So I'm looking forward to trying that out. I want to I want to toss this in real quick uh, because we we almost touched on it just a moment ago, talking about watching two guys operate and not hearing what they're doing. Uh, a GoTo station. We hear that term tossed around a lot, especially around this time of year. Uh, a get on the air station, and it's something that we. We say that we do here locally, but there's really not, you know, a flashing neon sign that says, get on the air here. Do you guys, where in the, in the past or it, currently when you operate field day, do you guys, do your clubs, your groups provide that? Is that something that's encouraged? And that's the first part. Second part, is it a UHF, VHF station? Or are you trying to get folks on HF? So, George, what do you guys do? We don't run a separate GoTo station. The GoTo is uh, get on the air station is a way to have an extra operating position without bumping your operator class. So if you're running three alpha, three transmitters on HF, you can add an extra station that's a GoTo station and it does not become a four alpha. So if you're really trying to go for um, contest points and uh, and all that, then then you would consider it. But we really don't get all spun up about the point count uh, I and mean, we track the points, but that's not really the, the purpose for our field day so much. So in a way, um, the purpose of go to station is to get people on the air and all of our positions are really there for especially new hams or inexperienced hams to get on the air. So the, frankly, our, we have a get on the air field day. It's not just a single <laughs> station. Jeremy, what did you, what did you guys do back in DC? So when I was a member of the Alexandria uh, radio club, we did uh, field a go-to station, um, but I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> it, this is just my opinion. This, isn't, this wasn't officially the way the club looked at it. The go-to station was always the last station to get set up, and it was always left to the new guys to just kind of figure it out. So uh, Alexandria was great because they, they held v- classes that were very well attended, and um, you know they would, they would create between 15 and 20 new hams every eight weeks. Um, Wow. So that was pretty awesome. Uh, but then these guys would come out to field day for the ones that are graduated around that time. And they would help with antenna setup and, and, and you know, getting generators going and everything else was great. But then it'd be about 145 people would be standing around with sandwiches in their hand and the go to station still wouldn't be set up. And come to find out, well, we're going to stick you on 10 meters. And um, the antenna that we have is this giant rat's nest of 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 copper that just hasn't been untangled in 10 years. Good luck. Figure it out. Um, in fact, actually, Ed, when I met Ed, which was at Alexandria's field day in, I think it was 2012, um, Ed had recently just become a licensed amateur, and he was 
he was very helpful in getting everybody's antenna set up. And somebody managed to set the go to station up, but then they just put poor Ed in front of it and said, go operate um, as a new ham. And uh, I, I will say that I believe in you know trial by fire and, 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 and learning like that in a lot of ways. I believe that's effective, but I don't know that it really is uh, in operating as much. Yeah, yeah. Gerald, uh, what are your experiences with a get-on-the-air station? Um, so, yeah, of course, last year we didn't have one because uh, we all brought our own radios. But down in Onslow, uh, I remember that one of the – I want to say it was one of the wives – or maybe it was, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was one of the wives of the member had made a big sign, and the soccer fields are right off the highway. And she had put that big sign out. And there are a few people that stop by, and there's, you know, a park and stuff. And so when you get out there, especially in a public area, and it looks like you're uh, you're setting up the trapeze for the ringling circus, uh, people want to come see what's going on. And uh, we had a couple people come over and talk. Um, I guess I just wasn't too, I don't want to say sold. I don't really... Um, I didn't really mess with it that much. So I know there are people that were using it and stuff, but, you know, I was more than happy to move over and let them hop on my radio and stuff too, which is, you know, that's the thing that uh, I've noticed a lot of new hams when they start getting around field day is they think, oh, well, I'm just a technician, so I won't be stuck on contesting on VHF and whatnot as to where you're operating under the club's call. So, uh, you know, you get to work all of them and you get to use whoever has the highest license. Absolutely. Yeah, the control operator, right? Sure. Yeah, that would be a question off the tech test. And and guys, if you're new, if you got your if you've just recently gotten your license, you've just passed your call showing up in ULS, go to a field day and operate, man. Uh, just just put yourself in the chair and, and get on the air. I didn't mean to rhyme there, and I apologize. Uh, antennas. Now we've talked a little bit about the pack antenna, which I'm taking to my field day. George is taking his field day. Uh, pack antenna, I believe, was maybe. Episode 24, go back and listen to it. It's a great portable antenna system. Uh, I'll be using mine with the tripod I got from our friends at Main Trading Company, and it works really, really well. We had a lot of fun with it uh, here in the yard just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, now, last year, Gerald, you and Jeremy and, and Ed, you guys set up some wire antennas. What did you guys use? Yeah, I... Uh so that's kind of my biggest passion. Um, you know, the radios are are pretty easy. You can go buy buy any radio, and all the modern radios are going to perform great. But they can only perform as good as the signal gets out. So um, the antennas have really been what's captured my attention. And uh, I bought you know the ARL big antenna book, and I spend I read through that thing all the time because there's some really you know good solid science in there and design. So I've uh, I've come to find out, though, that really the best thing is just a, a simple dipole when you start looking at whatever, uh, you know, complexity to set up, uh, portability and all that. You know, a dipole is just really hard to be beat. Last year I used the, uh, the yo-yo dipole. Um, Jeremy's got a video there on his YouTube talking about it, and it's a, it's a real simple one. But with it, you know, the, uh, the biggest problem is finding some sort of support. So... Luckily, we had a tree right above us that I could use. But there's been a lot of times when I've gotten out into, um, you know, fields and stuff like that or uh, more barren landscape, and there isn't any overhead uh, supports that you can hang an antenna from. So I've kind of started working on a vertical. In fact, Jeremy and I went to the Frostfest Dam show 
right before he moved out to Ohio, and we got some 17-foot telescopic verticals, and then we made up a little mounting system, and uh, Wolf, Wolf Creek Rivers, I believe, is the name of the coil. Is that right, Jeremy? Yeah, it, or it's it's like Wolf Wolf River coils. I uh, if you listen to the Dayton episode, I interviewed them at Dayton. Yeah, the the Wolf River coils, but we got those, and it's been a pretty good little vertical antenna. I'm only using about four radials on it, which I'm adding more to it. But when you start, you know, weighing portability, uh, ease of setup, and stuff, I think four to six is really um, kind of the balancing point there. Uh, most of my stuff I've I've backpacked before, so I try to keep it as light and easy to set up as possible. So yeah, this year it's probably going to be a tie between the uh, the dipole and the and the uh, vertical. And I haven't uh, so far my my interaction with that pack tin is I saw it at Dayton and I kind of looked at it online and uh, I was getting pretty excited about it. But when I saw it at Dayton, it's uh the actual a bag with all the accessories is so much smaller than what you really think. And the whole uh, the whole kit is just it's a it's a pretty impressive kit. So if anybody's kind of you know not interested in uh, piecing it all together and uh, trying to part it out, I think that's a really good option to uh, look at because you know it's got your vertical and dipole and it, it's got everything. It's a it's kind of a one stop shop. Yeah, yeah, I like mine. And and the first contact we made with ours here was uh andy was here kk4 uniform charlie golf and it was his very first ever hf contact was our very first pac contact and it just happened to be the very first contact that uh the indianapolis motor speedway special events station had made that day so it was a bunch of first and it worked really really well uh jeremy do you have some uh some antenna favorites for for field day you know this is one of the things that um, when so when I was operating with a club, <clears throat> there were generally an assortment of, of homemade verticals and then wire dipoles. Um, now that I'm more likely to be on my own, um, I will admit for some reason the antenna building bug just has not hit me the way it hit Gerald or the way that it hit uh, Ed. And Ed taught me a lot about making antennas. He and I have spent far more time making antennas together than we ever did actually operating radios. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but for me, I, I generally like um, field portable antennas. And I have run the buddy pole um, for field day before. I have run uh, the LNR Precision PAR um, NFEDS antennas for field day. Actually, I did really good with that. Um, my favorite antenna that I've ever kind of put together, but this was putting together a bunch of other people's pieces. Um, I actually took a little Tar Heel 2 screwdriver antenna and we pounded a, four, a couple of four foot ground rods into the ground, clamped it on there. On the top of it, we put one of those 17 foot um, aluminum uh, uh, antenna whips that Gerald was talking about on the top of it. And then on the bottom, I ran out a, uh, a radial plate and actually ran out 64 um, radials cut for quarter wave on 40 meter. And then uh, I had this little MFJ, I think it's like the MFJ 1979, and it's just a little um, variable inductor to get the feed point impedance up. And, I mean, that thing was awesome. Um, I remember we worked Hawaii on 40 meters on a vertical at like 2 o'clock in the morning. 
uh, with it. And so it, it at least worked to that, you know, for that field day. But that, that antenna was a lot of fun. Wow. George, we went through your antennas a few minutes ago, but uh, is there anything you wanted to add to any of that? You know, for me, the the criteria <clears throat> that I've sort of figured out over the years that I really look for is uh, quick and easy to set up and quick and easy to take it down. And the my favorite antenna uh, up to recently was this vertical. And that's the, the fiberglass telescoping uh, vertical with a wire. And similar to what Jeremy is describing, a bunch of ra- – we didn't have 64. We had like eight radials. And an SGC auto tuner in an ammo can at the base of the vertical. And that thing takes five minutes to set up and about four minutes to pull it down. And it works at all bands. And it's reasonably efficient. And that was one of the inspirations behind doing the Pactena. Um, you, you could do the exact same antenna I just described with the Pactena hardware. Uh, but it's also more flexible. You can do more stuff with it. But I, I really like that because it's kind of quick and easy to set up. One person could do it. You're not going to be spending an hour. What's hilarious is you get on YouTube and look at field day antenna failure or something like that, and there's these horrific videos of people trying to hoist up some big, heavy uh, antenna on a mast that just buckles in the middle, and you just, oh, you know, it's just a, it's a horror show. And that's like the last thing I want to do on field day. So I'm all for quick and easy setup and takedown. You know, I, I actually have captured several of those in my field day videos myself so uh that that snap of the fiberglass is a sound you never forget (laughs) (laughs) or the words look out (laughs) yeah rock rock (laughs) run yeah so uh so so here in in south carolina in in spartanburg county at the uh, k4 india india club we'll be running 100 watt radios will you guys be running any uh any big high power radios? Uh, I know George talked about the QRP rig for the VHF, uh, UHF, but uh, no, you we, know, we, operating we, field day. I mean, do you guys do you guys run power? We we for us in the Bay Area, we we pretty much uh, run 100 watt radios at 50 watts out, and that's a that's a power point that's high enough that you could make contacts easily. But it's uh, a reasonable power consumption point for the batteries. We don't run generators. Uh, we don't use generators at all because they're just noisy and you know it's, they're just a big pain. So uh, we go for purely battery operated. We are very inspired by Jeremy's lipo batteries and solar panels and and all that, and have really uh, copied that idea, uh, taken that to heart, and run it about 50 watts and everything. Cool. Cool. I know that Jeremy last year uh, on, on your video you went through went through some of the the setup there that you and Gerald and and Ed used, and it was quite impressive that it was dark and you guys were still running and weren't plugged in anything. Yeah, I mean the the forty amp hour um, the pack that we had was I mean we were getting enough power from the sun that the battery was never really getting run down. Um, the battery responds well to high current applications, so you don't have premature voltage drop. And yeah, I mean, for what we were doing overnight, which was running, um, I think we were running like a TS uh, 480 on digital. And then I remember Gerald was making contacts with the KX3 with the, the, the 100 watt amp, and we had that turned down to 50 watts. I mean, we were able to sit there until we were tired of sitting there, and the battery. I mean, I think we were at least out there, what, Gerald, three three or four hours after dark? 
Yeah, we even we made a run to the store and came back, and uh, yeah, it was uh, it was around midnight or one. Yeah, so I mean, we yeah, yeah, it went gangbusters, and I I think if I if I were experimenting more this year, I would actually I I would love to take that setup and put it with a group of folks who are actually interested in running Field Day as a contest, and that's that's something else. Field Day is not supposed to be a contest. There is a club, a very well known club. I think it's in Maryland. That they always win with like 500 million points. Um, but they run literally 36 stations simultaneously. They're, they're a 36 alpha um, setup. They, they came to our club and did a presentation on how they make it happen. And it was quite interesting. But um, I, I'd like to see how that setup works, though, if you do have constant operating people that are sitting there constantly trying to get contacts to see, you know, how, will that battery actually get at least one radio station, you know, all the way through the night. And that was a, that was not a that was a lipo. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I, I mean lithium iron phosphate. Um, okay. The only reason I say that is, and this is where my ignorance comes in, because I think technically lifepo is technically a polymer battery, um, but the polymer, as I understand it, really has more to do with um, basically like a something put in in between the chemicals. Um, but Lithium iron phosphate, I, I call out specifically because it's just a much safer chemistry. I mean, you could poke holes in it all day long, and it's not going to burst into flames like a traditional um, lipo battery would. Uh, and it's just some of the the voltage points, the nominal voltage points, and the over voltage points, and all that are a little bit different. Um, and because of that, they're a little also they're a little bit more expensive, but they are just an inherently safer battery. And they don't stop working because you just don't keep them floating all the time like my SLAs did. Well, I mean, any battery left unattended for a long period of time can, you know, self-deplete. But it, they they have a much lower self-discharge rate. Um, in fact, actually, the pack that I used at Field Day last year, I haven't had it on a charger since November. And I went down and looked at it, and the voltage is still setting right where you want nominal voltage to be. I mean, um, I should probably throw it on a charger just because, but it's it's still alive and kicking. Gerald, do you keep batteries for your uh, your KX3 and your U kits? Uh, well, yeah, the KX3 has the uh, the AA internals, so mm-hmm. I I dropped some pretty good money on some really good rechargeable um, NIM batteries. Uh, that way, I can keep those charged up. But my Jeremy, if you and you know, I keep plugging his videos, but he really does have some uh, good videos on there. If you look. He's got one where he does a test between, you know, everyone's familiar with that. The I don't know, they're sold as five amp hour, seven amp hour. I think we've even seen some up to like nine amp hour, uh, twelve volt batteries that are about six inches long, four inches tall, and two inches wide. Um, they you can buy them at Batteries Plus and all that, and they're uh, they weigh about I don't know five or six pounds. They're kind of heavy, but everyone's familiar with those, and the ones that him and I have started using are the A123 drop-ins, which I think they've uh, they've discontinued those. But the thing is, is so far I've, uh, I don't know, probably a dozen people I've showed my little battery pack set up to, and I hand it to them, and their eyes just get huge when they, they look at what they're holding and how lightweight it is. And I've talked to, uh, we've got a couple guys here that are really big into soda and do a lot of summits on the air. And, you know, they're hauling up uh, lead-acid batteries with them, and they're they're working and everything. But when I show them this lithium battery, their eyes just light up. And uh, then I direct him to his videos where he talks about, you know, the discharge rate 
and how a, a lithium battery maintains that voltage for so much longer that this battery is a four amp hour and you get a four amp hours actual usable um, life out of it as compared to the five, six, seven, nine amp hour lead acid one, you're really only getting about two and a half amp hours. So they are expensive, but when you figure in the weight savings and then uh, you figure in the extra capacity that you get, it's it's definitely where it's at. So yeah, I, uh, I've got that one little kit that I made and I'll send you a picture so you can put it up on the, uh, on the blog there. And the whole thing fits in a little corridor pouch, um, a Molly pouch, and I've got little jumper cables with some alligator clips and my charge controller and everything. And, uh, you know, that whole backpacking kit that I have, including a, a little Chromebook, the KX3, the solar panel, the battery pack. Um, yeah, that whole setup weighs less than 11 pounds. And I, the biggest, the biggest part of that is the battery. And, uh, that's kind of what, was amazing me last year is uh, while I say antennas are the most important part of your station, um, batteries are definitely the most useful part, and they're either what's going to make you or break you. So I'd like let me jump in real quick because so the battery that Gerald and I are talking about um, was the A one twenty three systems. It's the let's see the ALM. 12v7 and gerald is correct it does look like it has been discontinued and uh, nec bought a123 and so they're starting to brand a lot of these power modules and in fact actually the buy a123 batteries.com domain has expired and now they're by a123 products.com that power module has been replaced with um a black and blue thing that says any or nec energy solutions alm 12v7s and the sad thing is, is uh, Gerald and I did complain about the price because they were like one twenty five. We I kept telling the guy who ran the site, I was like, if you could get them to ninety nine, they would sell like hotcakes. And unfortunately, they've gone up to one fifty. So that's completely the wrong direction. Now, granted, uh, they don't have any specs listed here. So for all I know, maybe they have used a higher, maybe there's higher energy density. Um, to just up now, still it says four point six amp hours. So yeah, um, that's kind of unfortunate because they really are wonderful batteries. And and anytime you hand one to somebody, it just it just changes their perspective. So there are a lot of other batteries <clears throat> on the market in a similar form factor, even with the balancing um, circuitry built in uh, that are similar to that. Um, so I I don't have a suggestion off the top of my head, but I was looking for another one of those batteries, and like you said, being discontinued. I thought, well, there goes that. But uh, hunting around on uh, on the web, I did find other similar batteries. Yeah, the the thing with that is, is uh, like Jeremy was talking about the life. If you can find one that's a life, um, that's going to be, you know, and I'm sure they're out there. But so the a lot of the um, the military batteries, like the BB twenty five ninety, that the military because even the military is moving away from, um, you know, lead acid types and to the lithium. And the first lithium batteries the military went to were just uh, lithium polymer. And the problem with that is when they get wet, they tend to catch on fire. And that's not a good thing. So now they're starting to move into lithium phosphate. And I'm not a chemist, so I don't want to butcher up all the names. But, um, you know, there, there are some considerations when you start messing with the life. Like, you can go out and get the... Uh, the RC batteries, I've got the little quadcopter, and you can get a three-cell 2.2-amp-hour um, battery for $10. And 
you know, it's ridiculous. I've ran my KX3 off of it, no problems, full 10 watts out, and uh, it does everything that you want it to. The only problem that I found with that is it doesn't have that charge circuitry built in. And that's when you're out there with a solar panel and you're only getting, you know, a, a small amount of energy to put into it, you really want a good charge controller. But, yeah, if you, if you find anything, George, I'm all ears about trying to find a, a cheaper solution. So I'll, I'll, I'll jump in there because one of the other um, brands that has been making these modules for a while is a company called K2 Energy, Kilo 2 Energy. I'm not, um, I'm not endorsing them because I've never, I've never used their products firsthand. And they sell battery packs that are both, you know, protected and unprotected that are in that standard, um, you know, sealed lead acid form factor. And for those who aren't familiar with these things, the reason that they're interesting it's because they use lithium iron phosphate cells, but these are drop-in replacements for your traditional lead-based battery. So, for instance, if you have a UPS, um, like a computer UPS that has a couple of these inside of it, you could buy these. And they have the charging circuitry inside and the protection circuitry inside to be compatible with a traditional 12-volt lead-acid battery charger, even though the voltage requirements and the current requirements and the charging algorithms are different. All that circuitry was built into the battery pack to handle that for you, and that's that's why they're unique. Um, but yeah, so K2 Energy is another one um, you know to to take a look at for those types of modules. Well, another one I'll throw in, uh, just another one to throw on the pile there. Um, uh, you're Gerald, you're mentioning the um, um, drone kind of helicopter batteries, and I was looking at Hobby King, which is a great source for. Um, stuff like this, and there are many, many versions of um, of high capacity batteries uh, at different voltage ratings and different uh, uh, current ratings, uh, depending on how many cells in series and parallel. Just about any combo you want. So I I bought one, and I I haven't really had a chance to try it very much. It, but it's a uh, eight amp hour battery with a terminal voltage of about fourteen point two volts, I think. Uh, which is a little bit too high almost. I mean, you could probably run the KX3 off of it, uh, but you might want to drop it a volt or so for most radios. Anyway, they're not that expensive. They're, they're about oh, 75 80 bucks, and they, a Hobby King sells a balanced charger for about 25 bucks that will do a perfectly fine job of, of charging that. So I'm going to give that a try, and they're pretty lightweight. Um, it's, it's kind of similar to the... The batteries that uh, Buddy Pole was selling, which are really nice, but they're like significantly more expensive. So this might be a reasonable uh, lower cost alternative to that. Yeah, no, that, uh, that's actually something I've kind of been looking at, just because now that the A123 is gone, um, you know, I've got to get that power fixed. But while you're there, George, and this for all the other listeners, um, I got kind of upset because I went to a retailer and bought one of the power analyzers. They used to have the what's up meter and uh, I guess those were discontinued. So now they started making the, uh, uh, I can't remember what brand it is, but it's a power analyzer and it's really cool. It tells you your voltage and amperage and current draw and all sorts of different specs. And I bought it at a well-known ham retailer for $60 and I thought I was getting a heck of a deal and uh, for what it did. And I was happy with the price. It came with power poles on it and everything. And then I started getting into the RC stuff and went on Hobby King, and they had the exact same brand um, power analyzer for twenty bucks on there. Yeah, that that uh, the <laughs> yes. one you're talking about, Gerald, is a it's a Tenergy, which I mean they're they've been around in the RC world forever. Um, 
and also just sorry as a side note, I just found the uh, original buy one twenty or the A one twenty three batteries for one twenty five at buylithiumbatteries.com. No affiliation. Um, I just happened to notice they have about 120 in stock. So if you haven't had gotten one yet and you wanted to, those are probably the last 120 available on the planet. There you go. And that's about 100 bucks more than I've got to spend to replace mine with. Kickstarter, baby. <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah, I've got a power supply to replace as well. Batteries would work good. Power supply with battery. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm I'm caught uh, with both both legs of my pants down. All right, so uh, we're going to take a break here, real quick, guys, and we'll be back in just a few minutes as we continue the discussion for the 2015 Field Day. This is a special edition episode of the Photon Podcast. Visit mtcradio.com today. A great one-stop mom and pop shop for everything ham radio radios antennas power supplies wire and cable books and training materials microphones headsets and accessories find popular brands like mfj heil sound jetstream ldg alinko comet texas Bugcatcher, radio waves and more mtcradio.com an authorized kenwood and icom dealer mtcradio.com Okay, so we're back on the 2015 Field Day special edition episode of the Photime Podcast. Everything we're going to talk about during this episode should be listed on the website in the show notes, and we will do our best to compile all of that and have it there for you to go through, hopefully like we did with the Dayton show, uh, in the order that it was mentioned, I think that made it easier for everyone to to go follow those links. As uh, Jeremy did some fine report, <clears throat> Jeremy did some outstanding reporting from uh, Dayton. And thanks take, again, Jeremy. Take a shot. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, uh, let's get back in here uh, and talk about some things that are maybe not radio oriented, or maybe not uh, solar or battery, maybe aren't antennas. But what are some things that if you're going to your first field day, uh, you you may not think you need, but you might want to toss toss in the bag just in case. Jeremy, sunscreen, 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 chair, lots of hydration. Um, you know, I stuff to be comfortable outside. Uh, I know it, it might seem pretty obvious, but. Um, I, I no matter what I do, I mean, whether I was with the club or last year when I was with um, our friends in Virginia, I always bring this. I have this ten foot by ten foot collapsible like tent, and even thinking, hey, I'm going to be under this all day. Last year, I got sunburned like you wouldn't believe, and so sunscreen. <laughs> I got sunburned testing the pack tenna the other day on my arms. It was really really weird. That's not a Jer- warranty. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> But it's really funny, Jeremy. You should you, those three I, things you said because whenever anybody says, "What do I bring to field day?" We say sunscreen, water, and a chair. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, assume there's nothing, and if you want to sit and be comfortable and not crisp up, that's really important. What about nighttime operating? Tossing a, a flashlight if you don't carry one every day in your pocket, or maybe a headlamp, something like that. Yeah, actually, yeah. headlamp's a great idea, especially if you're going to work on any. Uh, of the gear, any wiring or anything, it's you want to have your hands free, and uh, you know lanterns, preferably LED lanterns. Gerald, what about a power pole crimper? Yeah, 
uh, power pole world. It's, uh, <laughs> the, and I, I say that and that's another thing. Like I get really passionate about some of the really small stuff and a lot of guys give me a hard time about it. But when you get out there and if you've never experienced what power poles can do, you, you just don't understand. Um, some people kind of take them for, you know, advantage cause they're, they're used to having them. But when you go from, you know, the world of different, you know, OEM connectors, you know, Yezu has a different connector than Kidwood and so on. Uh, you know, back, they used to do the banana plugs. Uh, those are a pretty popular power um, adapter, even in test equipment and stuff, but they're not really rugged and, you know, they're, they're individual and power poles just being together, you know, they mate so much easier. Um, you can pull a radio out and swap it out. It's, it's definitely the way to go. So, uh, if you've seen them, Quicksilver, um, they, that's where I bought my kit. I bought the big, fancy power pole coax crimper uh, kit, which you can get. You can have a whole segment on whether or not you should crimp or solder your coax. I guess that's the the new beans or no beans um, argument. But the uh, that crimper is made putting power poles on so easy. Um, now I have done it with you know just a pair of normal uh, wire crimpers and even a pair of pliers. So it is doable. Um, just kind of get it squished down there, but yeah, those those little kinds of tools are uh, are a huge necessity. I've got a little bag that I made up for um, for different kits. And see, I I've done a few, you know, outside of field day, just gone out and uh, gone camping and taking radio gear. And I remember my first one. I think you you knew about it, Kale. I talked to you down in South Carolina when I went yeah. uh, and camped in North Carolina. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, I'll send you a picture of my pack out for that because that was kind of my first self-supported. I'm driving 400 miles away from my house, and uh, I want to make sure I have everything. And I want a little overkill, so you know, I can't give you a list of what you need, but always take more than what you think you're going to need. And you can't run down to the local Radio Shack anymore. Yeah, that that's done. Yeah, unfortunately. So let me throw. I'll throw two more thoughts on there. One is um, if it could break, it probably will. So you might look at all your gear and say, okay, someone's going to step on something. They're going to step on a cable, and it's going to rip the connector apart. So I, I totally agree with the power pole thing. Universal connector brings bears. But, you know, what other kind of connectors or what other kind of cables and, you know, adapters? Make sure you bring coax adapters because, uh, you know, some guy shows up with a cable with the wrong kind of connector on it, and you want to be able to mate them. Um, so I, I think you want to have a little toolkit go bag for your radio stuff. So whenever you go on a radio outing, you toss the little bag in your, in your car. So you always have those radio specific spare parts and, and hand tools and whatnot. Uh, one thing that's really helpful is bring a butane soldering iron because of the butane soldering iron, you don't need any AC or DC power and they work really well. Uh, Weller makes really good ones. So, um, you know, portable, little portable tools like that are very handy. So that, that means you are in the solder camp and not the crimp camp. I am in the do both camp, to be perfectly honest. I, I'm like, to <laughs> want to make sure it's, it, it's done well. Either one is fine. Truthfully, uh, uh, crimp or solder, if it's the right gauge wire, crimp works fine. If the gauge of the wire is a little bit small for the connector, then you really have to solder it. The, uh, you know, kind of what George was saying there about, the coax adapters that's the one thing everyone who goes to a ham fest you know they always walk away and they're oh yeah i can't remember what i wanted or what i should have got 
that's something you should walk away every ham fest with, you know, just a handful of different, uh, different adapters. And if, uh, you know, I know there's some listeners that don't get an opportunity to go to ham fest or have this big ham fest, uh, you know, like we all do, but if you don't, I will give an endorsement to uh, the RF connection. I know Jeremy has used these guys as well. They're the RFC.com and they're up in Maryland and they have any connector for anything that you need. And they're always really good price. I see them at all the local ham fest around here and uh, they've always done a good deal to me. They were at Dayton. So, you, you know, one thing that would make a great pr- Christmas present to yourself is, is get a, set of adapters get two of each that lets you go from uhf pl259 type connectors to bnc's at a minimum maybe end connectors also and get an adapter that takes you from anything to anything and there, you'll probably wind up with 10 different adapters and maybe you get two of each it won't be super cheap but that's a set of adapters that you will really <laughs> appreciate having especially on field day oh i use mine all the time just here at the house and I, I've kind of been building a little supply as the years have gone by. And when Radio Shack cleared out, that kind of helped, you know, buying them for pennies on the dollar, which was still about what you could order from eBay. But at the same time, if if you have an adapter, if you need one and you have it, it's a lot easier than scratching your head trying to figure out another way to, to cross that bridge. Uh, well, wait, one, one, go more, ahead. one more thing. It's not, not strictly – I guess it's an adapter um, – I learned years ago that when you go to field day with more than a couple people operating, grab a handful of um, SO239 barrel connectors because mm-hmm. invariably you won't be able to make new coax, but you can always join to you know a 100-foot section and a 25-foot section. Yeah. And no matter what you do, you will always have at least one run that is exactly six inches shorter <laughs> than what you need. <laughs> Ask That's me how I know. Guaranteed. You can take that one to the bank. So, uh, yeah, I, I can't. I can't think of much to add to that. Oh, uh, the, uh, I, the adapters. I'm sorry. You got I, another one. I, I actually did think of another I one. I saw so. a light bulb right there. <laughs> oh no, that, that's your avatar. Never mind. <laughs> um, the other one that comes to mind is uh, having a mechanism for launching, if, if it's applicable to you, for getting wire or rope into a tree so that you can get your antenna up and. That may very well be one of those fancy easy hangs where they have professionally mounted a Zebco 70 to a, a slingshot. Maybe it's just a slingshot. I know a guy in my last club always used a bow and arrow. Um, but some way, I mean, and then Ed, Ed would tell you all you need to do is tie up a monkey's fist and, and he would do it the old-fashioned way. But some way to get wire and cabling into a tree um, if you are relying on trees to, for supporting your antennas. So here, here's one that I always Oh, that was a double, triple, triple, double. <laughs> Gerald. I was just asking Jeremy if he was knocking on my pot bottle full of rocks last year. Actually, no, I forgot about that. But, yeah, that was incredibly effective. It was like a, a little 20-ounce soda bottle full of gravel and tied the rope to it and swung it around, and that was also very effective. So the thing that I always wanted to build or get my hands on is a, is a tennis ball launcher that's made out of pressurized PVC. So there's all kinds of design uh, files on the web. You make a contraption with a valve, an electric electric valve, and um, a cylinder out of PVC, and you take a tennis ball and you attach a, a line to it, 
and you can fire the tennis ball up over a tree. And the tricky part about it is the unwinding bale. Uh, so rather than using a fishing reel, which is sort of what you'd normally think about, you want something super, super low drag. And there's some really cool designs where the um, the line is um, is mounted to the front of the launcher. And so the line just kind of spins out. Have you ever seen like a, a tow missile video? <laughs> and the missile takes off and pulls the wire behind it. It looks like that. It's pretty awesome. Anyway... Tennis ball launcher. We call them tater guns in South Carolina. There you go. <laughs> yeah, we we call them potato guns. Yeah, yeah. A buddy, a buddy of mine years ago, Chris, Chris Purdy. We call him Pretty Boy. Uh, we hope that he'll get his license pretty soon. But calling them out here on the national broadcast, but <clears throat> excuse me, international broadcast. But yeah, Chris actually built me one of those for Christmas years ago when we were uh, weren't married, and it was a lot of fun to play the uh, the tater gun out in the yard with the rave hairspray. We did it old school. Yeah. I still yes. like the guy online that did the, uh, has the grenade launch or the dummy grenade and he fires the blank out of his rifle. I think oh, yeah. he launched it over some pretty cool. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. that. The Israeli dummy grenade or something it's called. It fi- you fire sure the blanks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, so here's a link for one. So I, I don't own one of these and I can't endorse them, but check it out. It's, www.antennalaunchers.com, of course. And, um, yeah, there you go. That's the idea. Sweet. Perspective uh, show sponsors, additional show sponsors. Actually, I called – I think it was these guys. I I called them a month before field day a couple years ago, and I said, hey, I'm thinking about getting one of your – your tennis ball launchers, uh, uh, and the guy says, yeah, you get in line because they're all sold. They, They sell out like two months before field day. Wow. Well, put that on next year's list, guys. Let's talk about login because uh, the way we do it here locally, uh, we we have a uh, usually try to run two guys, one as a logger and one as you know the the operator, and there's uh, some sort of laptop computer contraption that they, I don't really know what it is. I've, I'm not privy to that information, but uh, everybody that uses it, it seems pretty simple. And um, I think it may be that free logging software just installed on two different laptop computers the club has. But uh, what do you guys use, George? Uh-oh. Did we lose George? West of the Rockies, you're on the air. There we go. Back. We're back now. So <laughs> uh, we always have paper dupe sheets and logs, but I think in the last 10 years, I don't think we've ever actually paper logged anything. So um, for years, we used N3FJP, Nancy 3, Foxtrot, Juliet, Papa, and uh, the software is really great. It does auto-dupe checking. It runs on Windows. Uh, it looks like it was written many years ago in a like almost a DOS kind of program. But yeah, it's like, like Fox Pro. Yeah, it's, it's pretty old. Um, however, uh, starting th- two years ago, we, we shifted from that to... Hamlog. So Hamlog is uh, the product that Nick N3WG makes. And so Hamlog is for uh, tablets, for Android and and, um, uh, Apple devices. And it's a general purpose logging program. And and a couple years ago, um, I I mentioned to Nick, I said, I really would like to switch from PCs to tablets for logging. And maybe Hamlog would be good, but we needed to do dupe checking. We need a central server. We need all this stuff. You know, do you ever think about doing a 
uh, field day logger. And he said, hey, I could probably do something like that. So anyway, uh, like two weeks later, he calls me and says, okay, let's give it a try. Let's give it a try. The field day logger. Okay. So anyway, um, Nick wrote software to run on a BeagleBone. And a BeagleBone is a little embedded Linux board. It's about the size of a deck of cards. Runs on 5 volts. And, um, and, and you boot the thing up, and it plugs into a little uh, a wireless access point. So we have a little tiny ammo can that's like 8 by 3 by 6 inches tall. Inside is this little uh, credit card-sized computer, a tiny little access point, and a big, gigantic 5-volt battery. And that's the server. And so everybody uses their uh, iPhone or Android or tablet to connect to the access point and log. And every, every time you uh, log an entry, it stores it on your local device, and it also sends it to the server, and it does dupe checking. So it's, it's awesome. Um, and when it's all done, you hit the button that says email the, the database to me, and it emails you a text file with all the log entries. And you could take that and you know, bring it into a spreadsheet or do whatever you want with the file. It's really cool. Nick is freaking awesome. He is. And, and the funny yeah. thing, well, actually, that's not even a product. I mean, you can get Hamlog for 99 cents. But this, <laughs> the Field Day server, he's, I don't think he's ever made it into a product for sale. But it's, it's awesome. Wow. Gerald, what did, you, what did you guys do last year up in the country? Um, I think that was kind of uh, me being stubborn. Uh, I'm a Linux guy, and I know Jeremy and Ed were working. Uh, on what, what, what did you guys use last year, Jeremy? Actually, we, um, we actually used Hamlog running on a, a little Android Nexus uh, 7 that I brought. Okay, then how did we? Because uh, I know we had a couple radios. I don't remember logging anything. Maybe it was just Ed. So there. to that point, Ed had his Mac, and he would have been logging. I can't remember the name of it. There's there's this really expensive but very fully featured um, like logging application for Mac, <clears throat> and I think that's what he was using. But um, for the KX3, we were using Hamlog. Okay. Yeah, that was. Uh, and then on mine, I just. Um, on my little UKIS radio, I use the FL Digi built-in log, and then sit them all over in an ADIF format. But yeah, that's uh, that was something that me and uh, the other guy were talking about this year was whether or not we were going to just keep them all in a text document and um, kind of do it that way or whatnot. But I don't know, field day server, any sort of logging server, something that I would think that the ham community would come out with. Um, yeah, well. The Windows programs like this N3 um, stuff, it you have a separate laptop, well, a laptop on the network designated as the server. And so everything uh, logs to that server and does dupe checking. Um, yeah, but, but the you, reason you we, should be able to do that on, you should be able to designate any one of the computers just as the server. Uh, yes. Because I wouldn't think that it would it would really require that much oomph. No, it doesn't. And, and that's exactly the way it works is you just – you know, pick one of the machines as your server. So with with the um, with the tablets, we wanted to have a central server, quote unquote, uh, but that's a real lightweight little uh, computer. Yeah, and that's uh, you know you were mentioning the tablets, and I've been really not anti-tablet, but I haven't really gotten into it because uh, you know you can do PSK and RIDI and whatnot, but now they've got the and I think it's called and message that's the kind of FL Digi ported over to Android. So now I'm actually looking at different tablets to 
start getting into it because that's kind of a huge advantage. So going back to logging, one thing I, I want to take a step backwards because <clears throat> logging is, I mean, the concept is simple, right? I need to, I need to record the contacts that I make because I'm going to try to score later. Um, but when I first got started with contesting in general, this was one of the things that was infinitely frustrating to me because there are 400 different logging packages. Um, and for somebody who's new, one of the things we're really taking for granted is that you're not, um, you're not, or that you're not really using paper to do this because when you log, you're tracking what band, if not what frequency your radio is on, um, and most of these applications are compatible with your radio through cat control or the uh, the CI5 um, control for ICOM radios where, you know, you get a, the, the serial cable for your radio, you plug your radio in, and then the software can read the frequency, the power, um, and all kinds of other things, you know, a lot of the data that makes up your station-specific part of the log. Then the rest of it is is just typing in a call sign. Um some of these applications like the N3 FJP stuff is awesome because it will keep track of like the field day rules for you. And we haven't talked about this and I, I don't know if we'll touch on it, but as far as um, there's an exchange where I, I, I say, you know, I say your call sign, um, please copy that we are this many stations and this is our operating class. And then here is our ARRL section um, or I forget what it's called. But so like last year um, we were two Bravo Virginia, two Bravo Victor Alpha. And these softwares will sometimes, <clears throat> if, if it's made specifically for a contest like N3FJP um, or one that I used, which I, I'll talk about here in a second, was WinEQF, on the, on the sheet, it would actually show me, oh, I've already gotten these sections or I've already gotten these multipliers, which is kind of you know helpful for keeping track of where you are if you are treating it as a contest. Um, the cool thing about using... Um, Hamlog is again with one of the little piglet devices. I can plug that into my KX3. Everything was wireless and very low power. That was awesome. Um, in years past, uh, the Alexandria Radio Club uses an application called WinEQF, which is a still a DOS application. And at first, I thought that would really turn me off. But the contrast of the colors and all of the keyboard shortcuts being built into it and the large text for run-and-gun operations, once you, I got to know it, I actually really started to prefer it. But I, I think most people don't. If you don't want to spend any money on logging software, um, probably the most popular free one out there is N1MM November 1 Mike Mike. Um, and that one is it, it it's it's one of those applications in my opinion is it's it's awesome because it can do everything but that's also part of the the com- complexity there's a there's a pretty good learning curve um you know to to get familiar with it like the idea and keeping everything together to tie it all back up at the at the end of the day or the end of the days and um uh, Maybe something we should look into. The tablet idea is really interesting as well. Um, I guess, George, with, with that, you would if you worked one station, would you take your tablet with you and go to the next station, or, or how does that work? It, it really doesn't matter. So the nice thing about having the, the logging server is that's the master database, and it doesn't matter what device the log entry comes from. So if I'm sitting at the 40-meter station logging away and I take my tablet to the 20-meter station, um, I just change the uh, field on the screen for the band, and I just keep logging. So 
Uh, one of the reasons to go tablet is the low power consumption. Uh, the other reason to go tablet is that um, if people bring their own device, they could log and just do it on their own device. Uh, and of course, you can have a keyboard or you know a full size tablet, size screen, whatever is convenient for you. But the, the main thing about the about the contest loggers, like the field day logging, is that you need to check for duplicate entries. Because what happens many times is you'll, the operator will sit down at the 20-meter sideband station. They'll work a bunch of stations. The person gets up, walks away. Someone else sits down, and they hear the same station that's already been worked. And you're not going to look through the whole log before you make a call. And you don't want to call a station you've already worked. So if you type in the call of the station you're about to work, and the software comes back and says, oh, that's a dupe. You, you, you can't log them again, then you know not to waste your time. So that dupe checking is really important. What about um, what about going from that technology to to uh, different technology regarding operating? Uh, a lot of, like I said, here in Spartanburg, we'll operate uh, CW and we'll operate uh, single sideband voice. I don't know that there'll be anything else going. I'm going to try to get um, maybe some PSK or something, possibly. Uh, with a with a semi go uh, go to station just to be able to sh- to to show the technology that we can text message without your cellular network kind of a thing if anyone's interested in seeing it uh but what are some new things that you're going to try or you want to try this year Gerald uh yeah so i think this year i'm going to pretty much stick to to psk and um i'm just going to try to see how you know how efficient i can actually get with it um or ready, you know, any of the digital modes. I just want to, that was something last year that was kind of fun is once you just get in that zone and you, uh, you're either a caller or a callee. And if you can just sit on a, a frequency and just start calling CQ, people start getting in line. And, uh, you know, once you get in that rhythm, it gets really fun. Um, but yeah, that, that's probably going to be the big one. So just kind of efficiency is what I want to nail down. Jeremy, if you do get to operate this year, anything in particular that you're wanting to try that you possibly haven't done before? You know, I I will operate this year one way or another. I I don't know. I the um digital is something that I've also always been interested in because um like my the the club we tried it a little bit and uh, it didn't really catch on. Last year we folded it a little bit, but I mean, we were all more interested in kind of just experimenting with what we brought. Um, I mean, one of the things that I will be interested if I go off on my own is I'll be using the Pactena, um, you know, as setting up pot, like uh, George actually talked about earlier about possibly as a multivan vertical, um, which would be cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, other than that, digital is, is probably the only thing. And I, I feel kind of bad because it's not so necessarily exciting. And that's what Gerald said. But I mean, it's, um, I, I really have never gotten a good feel for how much PSK31 activity there is during field day. Mm. Yeah, because, I mean, if, if, you're, if we're all just focusing on single sideband voice and CW, how would we know? Yeah, there is a fair bit of PSK and, and RTTY. There, there is a, you know, there's a good amount of it, um, and even some of the more exotic digital modes, too. What are you, what are you guys going to do, George? Um, well, pretty much the standard stuff. I mean, voice, uh, single sideband, and CW, uh, probably mostly voice. But um, one thing that uh, we did a couple years ago, I'm hoping we'll do again this year, uh, some of our club members are very involved in microwave uh, contesting, which mm. is pretty exotic. Um, 
and they build radios that operate in the um, uh, 10 gigahertz range mostly, but there's radios in 10, 24, 47 gigs and all that. Um, and they're, they're pretty wild because, I mean, they're all homebrew. You can't just go buy one. There's no Kenwood microwave radio. Uh, so uh, usually it's a contraption on a tripod and there's like a dish antenna on it. And a couple years ago, uh, one of the guys brought his uh, 24 and 10 gig uh, radios and we were up on a little hill and we were able to work some stations uh, running um, microwave across the valley. Now we're talking 20 miles away. Uh, but that was exciting. I'd never done that before. And, um, man, it, it worked uh, fabulous. <laughs> so um, so that's pretty neat. I'm, I'm hoping we'll do that again this year. At church this morning, I was telling someone about the podcast, and um, we, we're recording this, of course, on a Sunday. I just said that. But uh, I was telling him, he's like, yeah, you know, I, I heard something about it. If the if you didn't have an internet, you could make your own internet. And I was like, yeah, go get your license so we can do that, dude. <laughs> so, Marcus, if you're listening, go get your license, and, and we'll work on doing some microwave stuff back and forth. I think that's really interesting, but who in the world am I going to talk to way down here in the country? Nobody. Yeah, that, that's a bit of a challenge. Plus, it helps to have a little bit of elevation, too. Yeah, yeah. And my tower is still sitting out there in front of the, uh, the barn needing a hole in some cement. So... <laughs> Uh, community outreach. We we touched on this earlier when we were going through the Goda Station conversation. I want to come back to it. Um, community outreach is one thing, and you know I think it's just a personality thing, and we all have different personalities, and our clubs and our groups that we're involved in have different personalities, and uh, it's it seems to me that uh, at least here locally it it. Field Day, since I've been involved, hasn't necessarily been a community outreach event. Not that it has to be that. George, what do you what do you guys do out in the uh, out in the San Francisco Bay Area to to promote Field Day, or do you do anything? We do a little bit. We don't really do as much as other clubs in the area do. Others uh, really are much more methodical about this, but. Uh, one of the groups that we support is the American Red Cross, and so we always have Red Cross officials coming by the field day, which is nice. It's a great photo op. Um, mm-hmm. We tried something new last year. There's a email list that uh, covers uh, our neighborhood, and it's I forget what it's called. It's like neighborhood something or other. And you sign up, and you're on the mailing list with your neighbors in the neighborhood. And so I posted um, a note there to say that there's Amateur Radio Field Day. Here's what it is. To find out more information, go to this website. And if anybody wants to come by and check out our field day, we'll be in the parking lot at this uh, park. And we had uh, uh, probably four or five hams in the neighborhood come by. Uh, now, they were already hams, but they came by and checked that out and have become members of the club who were just, you know, our neighbors didn't even know they were hams. And in, in every case... They were um, some either somewhat active or not very active, but this is kind of a way for them to kind of get reengaged, and so that's been really uh, great. And since we set up in a uh, in a park, we get a lot of casual people coming by to go hiking or enjoy the park, and they come by and ask questions. And we always make a point of having a big stack of ARRL flyers, which you can get for free from the league just for asking that explain what ham radio is. And 
we also make sure that there's people assigned to be the greeter. So when someone walks up and says, what is all this? That somebody can explain what it is, and we don't put the grumpy dude uh, up in the front. We we make sure that the the people who who are going to you know be outgoing and engaging and talk about it um, enjoy doing that, and so that the people coming by have a really positive experience. I just thought that was an original idea of mine. I didn't realize. I'm just kidding. Which one? Yeah, <laughs> the 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 note that I sent to the board for the Spartanburg Club was, you know, we have someone there assigned to greet, and I think I put a smiley face and it said something like, "This is a very special kind of person." <laughs> yes. That, you can't have that, the guy who stays is... in his mom's basement being the greeter. And and I've been places where the first thing that comes out of the guy's mind, uh, mind maybe a mind mouth is, this is a twenty meter yagi with three dB gain, and like they're all they're speaking Plutonian gibberish, yeah. and that's you know obviously the wrong thing to do, but that's what we tend to do. So we you know you really have to have someone who even has a bit of a rap kind of figured out in advance so that yeah. they could succinctly, clearly explain to a layman what's going on. And then the person will either go, well, that's nice, and they'll take off, or they'll say, well, this is pretty interesting. Tell me more. And uh, you can then tell them more and even invite them to come sit at the table and make contact or you know whatever they're interested in trying. Jeremy, did you guys do anything in D.C. that was uh, cool for, for bringing folks in? So... Our, we, we had somebody in the club who was field day chair, and the field day chair would reach out to um, – number one, they'd make sure we would have a public information table with those flyers that were mentioned. And then we would reach out to local leadership like the mayor or the chief of police, the um, you know fire department, stuff like that. And we didn't really get a good response um, from city, civic leadership, although the mayor I think came out it's either last year or the year before, which was nice. Um, about every other year, we're able to get one of the local uh, newspapers to come out, um, and they would, you know, they come out and do that. And then one of the things that was really cool about Ed is Ed, uh, the last year that he and I both operated with Alexandria, he brought a bunch of um, really cool stuff. So if there were there were people that would come by with their kids. And so he brought um, one of the Aero Yagis and did an, um, a demonstration of, oh, look, I'm talking to the, the ISS, the space station, um, you know, where he was receiving the APRS packets and then plotting them on the computer. And that, that has a big wow factor and a cool factor uh, that's always good for, for public display. Um, we likewise also tried to, uh, you know, keep the grumpy folks uh, operating because they're, they're good at making out those contacts. Um, yeah, I mean, it's. I'd say <clears throat> my my impression is it's fairly standard stuff that we would do. Whereas uh, when we operated last year, it's just the the four of us. We we worked to go out of our way to keep the public uninvolved. As we kind of kind of run this thing down, uh, we we know our audience. Uh, we've been on the air for almost a year now, and we know who we're talking to. Um, do you guys have anything that you want to just just share with our listeners? Uh, regarding field day um, and why they should participate. I mean, we've gone through all the everything we can talk about it, uh, but but there may be some guys out there, you know, I just don't know. I don't know any of those guys there or something. Uh, what what would you say to them, Jeremy, to, to encourage them to participate, even if they just participate at home? 
Well, um, okay, so let's let's talk about the different um, types of operator, right? So if you're the guy that you you're you don't like field day because it just means you can't work DX because all the bands are taken up by field day stations or I'm sorry, that's, that's, I guess a little bit negative, but if you, I mean, if you're not interested in going out in a park and you believe that ham radio is something that you should be able to do from the, an air conditioned room in the comfort of your chair, then get on the air and give stations contacts. Um, it still is a good opportunity because even if you're not getting much out of operating, you're giving all of those stations you're working an opportunity to make one more contact in the log. If you are interested in operating portably, it is an excellent learning opportunity um, to go out and see what people do. Now, this is one of the things that I personally have taken for granted because when I lived in Alexandria, I could only play HF by going to the field. So every time I was on HF, it was field day for me. Um, so that's, that's part of the reason why I like this so much because I had already solved for myself a lot of these problems. But a lot of amateurs don't ever have to go out and operate that way or choose never to. But it really is a lot of fun. And it's a, a gateway into um, things like summits on the air or just walking up a trail in a nice park somewhere with a radio and then, you know, just casually throwing up an, an antenna and making a couple of contacts. Like it, it really is a good feeling. Um, if you are wondering where to go for a club, if you go to the, the league's website, um, ARRL.org slash field hyphen day, uh, near the, about two thirds of the way down the page, they actually have a link, um, that's kind of like a field day finder. They, they do a good job of allowing clubs and organizations to submit to them field day plans so that they can try to link up amateurs with field day things going on in the area. Also, obviously, um, you know, keep an ear on the repeaters during the weekly nets because uh, invariably people will talk about that. Uh, I mean, if you're even remotely curious, I have generally speaking, um, most clubs are, are friendly and want new folks to come out and participate with them. Like, again, if I end up going to our local clubs, you know, I'm an experienced operator, but I'm, I'm new to those folks. It's a good opportunity to meet other hams and you might wind up making really good friendships. I was going to say, um, Ed and I would probably have never met or become as close of friends as we did if he hadn't come to that field day. But, you know, we got to spend 24 hours together and, you know, quickly found out he was a very conscientious and smart and, and, um, and, uh, excited guy. Uh, and he was a great person to, to do field day with. And, uh, so yeah, definitely, definitely give it a try. What say you, George? Well, I think uh, my experience going to f some of the big club field days um, was kind of a mixed bag. I was uh, super impressed with the amount of hardware and the scope of the stations, how many stations there were and how many operators and all that stuff. And um, it kind of it was very impressive. But I also didn't feel... Um, like it was really the right thing for me because they really operated it as uh, a military exercise. <laughs> and, and it was very off-putting, to be perfectly honest. Um, so that's where we just decided many years ago, well, let's just do our own field day. So I guess my, my advice would be uh, if you've got a club locally that um, that is operating in a way that, that you enjoy and that works for you, then I would uh, throw in and volunteer and do that. Um, if, if not, um, then I would 
get a couple of friends and just go do your own field day. And it doesn't have to be a big deal. It could just be, you know, a couple of guys going to the park for a couple of hours and setting up and operating out of the back of your car. So it doesn't have to be a big deal. Um, or do a, go do a camp out and bring the radios with you. Um, if nothing else, and you do operate at home, I would suggest, uh, if you can, go out in the backyard and uh, just set up something in your backyard with a little dipole or a wire antenna um, and make a few contacts and kind of operate in the spirit of field day without necessarily spending the entire weekend hauling a bunch of stuff out. So, um, you know, find the group that works for you. We we find in our field day that um, the operating, while it's the the point of the exercise is to operate and use the equipment, what everybody really walks away with is uh, what a good time it was to hang out with our friends and new friends who share a common interest. And we talk about all kinds of radio stuff and compare notes. And we have a lot of folks that bring radios and antennas and equipment that don't necessarily set it all up, but show it off. And it's kind of like a, <laughs> it's kind of like a big uh, show and tell uh, at the same time. So we we really enjoy it for uh, for all those reasons, and uh, at the end of the day, we add up the points too and see how we did. But um, you know, we're never going to win anything. But you know, hopefully, we'll do better each year in terms of point score. Uh, but that's really not the goal for us. Jeremy, that'd be a that'd be a fun field day to attend, would it not? Oh, absolutely. Hey, come on out. There's plenty of room. <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, I I can't believe you guys are only running three stations. You know the well. So here's the 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 rub is because of the the nature of the bringing gear and showing stuff, and I mean everybody wants to stand around and BS about things. So the reason that the stations are not overwhelmed is because a lot of the guys just like hanging around and you know. So you got this new radio? Tell me about it. And oh, look at this weird antenna someone built. And you know, so <laughs> there's so much other non-operating stuff that's really fun. Um, you know. We we sort of oscillate between two to four positions being busy. Gerald, we get you back. Yeah, I'm here, Kel. Hey, so we're just we're just uh, we're just figuring out why we would encourage folks to participate in field day, whether they do it at home or or in a club or in a club setting. Uh, what what would you offer someone uh, just from your your experiences? Yeah, I think uh, you know. Just the other day, I had a buddy over to my house who's showing some interest in uh, getting licensed. And so he came over, and uh, we sat down, and I spun the dials and fired some stuff up and wasn't hearing anything. I went to look, and the bands were just completely dead. And, uh, you know, it's it's really discouraging to people when you talk it up and you get really excited about radio because, you know, most of the time you're going to make a contact with somebody. And that's, that's the first thing anyone gets, you know, asked whenever you start talking to amateur radio. It's, well, how far can I talk? How, you know, who can I talk to? So when you fire up your radio and no one's there to hear anything, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of discouraging. So on field day, there's plenty of people to talk to and to be able to fire it up. And, you know, you listen to, uh, to that guy and he's, you know, W6, blah, blah, blah. And you say, oh, that guy's out in uh, California. And, you know, people's eyes just start lighting up. And, you know, that's a, I don't know if it's kind of the, the goal with Goda, but, Everyone, you know, thinks of the go-to station as, oh, we're just going to pull these random people um, off of the street, you know, or, you know, that are at the park where we're at. And we're just going to get them on the air and talk. But, you know, 
talk to some of your coworkers and some of your friends that have kind of shown an interest into it. Bring those people out. And, uh, you know, maybe they've talked on a radio before or something or they've, you know, been in your vehicle with a mobile radio, but let them, you know, get an idea of HF and all that. So I think you can, uh, I think you can really, you know, reach a lot of different people on field day with, you know, the number of different things um, that are available there. Absolutely. Guys, I really appreciate all of you uh, being with us, George and Gerald and Jeremy, again, all of you back on the show. I think it's been quite uh, quite informative. I hope the listener enjoyed it as much as we did. And, um, man, I'm, I'm excited about field day. Uh, earlier today, I actually ordered some more uh, Photon business cards. And we're gonna, I'm going to take those and, and put them out there at the, um, at the, at the field day event. Give me a little card holder. And if anyone comes by, put a card in their hand. They can come learn from my smart friends like the hey. three of you. Uh, there's a great idea, Kale, um, for the club. So, so we did a we did a business card for for our club that has a list of the repeaters and the website URL and an email address. So when people come by, we we give them a card so they don't have to take a bunch of paper with them. Um, so yeah, having having something like that to hand out at your field day is good. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, guys, again, thanks, and uh, look forward to getting together again. George, start uh, doing your homework on the 991, and uh, don't forget to uh, check all the videos we have linked. We'll have Gerald's video, uh, the Yo-Yo Antenna video, as well as uh, the Ed video. Who we still ha- we still haven't got Ed on the air. We've got to talk to Ed again about that. And uh, we'll also Jeremy. Let's also put up there the uh, the the video from yours last year that was uh, shared with our friends on Ham Nation, and. Um, let guys get a feel for what you what you guys did last year with solar and battery power. But again, thank you all for uh, for being here. As I said, we're approaching the one year mark, and it's uh, I had no idea that I'd be here a year later, still having fun. So uh, if you guys want to if you guys want to sign real quick or or toss anything in before we go, feel free. George, just go ahead, Jeremy, and we'll we'll hit Gerald and come back to Kale. Well, thanks a lot, everybody. Really enjoyed it, and uh, hopefully we'll make a bunch of contacts on field day. Be looking for Kilo 6 Sierra Radio Alpha. K6SRA is the club call, and we'll be on the air on 20 and 40 for sure on field day. So hopefully we'll work you then. All right, and uh, just keep an ear out in general for me because I have no idea where I'll be. I've even thought about taking the entire house uh, off the grid, putting it on generator, and uh, running the air conditioning and everything that way for field day. Yeah, and uh, I've been talking with Kale to the list about some of the listeners. And if anybody's excited in talking, you know, some computer stuff and whatnot, let me uh, let Kale put me to work and uh, see if I can't get some sort of uh, computery type subjects brought up to him. So if that's something you're interested in, shoot him an email and uh, let him know what you're looking for. Yeah, yeah, we all, we're always looking for new topics, and Gerald's Gerald's dead on. I uh, I asked him to translate a few things the other day when I was listening to uh, Linux in the Ham Shack. It was like I was listening to a different language. But uh, thank you guys again, and Field Day again, 2015 Field Day is the 27th and 28th of June, 2015. You can go to the AWRL website and find a local club, see where they're participating. We'll have those links for you on our website, and uh, we'll catch you next time, guys. Thanks. 
Okay, guys, that's going to finish up number 28. Thank you so much for listening with us. And uh, we had a lot of a lot of fun participating in that program together. George, Jeremy, and Gerald, guys, thank you again for your time and sharing your thoughts and experiences with us here on the Photon Podcast. If you need some stuff, mtcradio.com. They've got you covered. Give them a call. Call them first. You may not have to call anyone else, okay? All right, and uh, you may want to stick around just a couple of minutes after the music ends, you know what I'm saying. But, uh, again, thank you for participating. We're, we're encroaching on the one-year mark here on the Photon Podcast, and it takes folks like uh, Donald, who, uh, who comes along with us and joins us in the, the trip here, Kilo Charlie 9, Zulu Mike Yankee. Donald, thank you for your, uh, your participation and funding the podcast. We sincerely appreciate it and wanted to tell you thank you in front of everybody else listening. Guys, remember you can find our website at photon.com. Show notes, video links, shopping links, whatever you need, you can probably find it on there as well. If I can do anything to help you, please let me know. And I cannot wait to catch up with you guys on field day, June 27, 28. God bless you guys. 73, y'all. listening and subscribing to amateur radio 15.com presents photon the other ham radio podcast you can find our past episodes web links and more at amateur radio 15.com that's amateur radio 15.com follow us on twitter at photon podcast and remember to visit our show sponsor main trading company at mtcradio.com till next time 73s Dun dun dun. Okay. Um, can we? Can, do you need to go tinkle? I, I do. <laughs> I've I've drank in it like a half gallon of tea since we've been sitting here. Wow, sweet tea? No, 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 no. I uh, it's I, in Ohio. They don't have that. Yeah, they well, do. How, they do. How do you, how do you drink tea without sugar in it, dude? Well, this is like crystal light tea. Oh, it's tea God. in quotes. You know, that's, I'm, now I'm picturing Jeremy in like a 1980s Crystal Light commercial with a leotard and a sweatband on. I mean, if that's the type of thing that you spend your time picturing in your mind, I think you should. I, I cannot unsee that image now. No, no, oh, I God. can't. I, I'm me and I can't unsee that image. Yeah. I'm going to go tinkle. <laughs>